in the woods yes yeah i'm gonna try to speak up for uh everyone um out today, there because yeah. apparently i don't do that <laughs> i think that sometimes madison gets a little too comfy in her chair and she kind of like moves Which... around she rolls back she curls up she puts a blanket on she puts her hands over her face so a lot of times you guys might not notice because i do edit a lot of it out but she'll do like this like quiet like and i'm like what did you say? Yeah, yeah, whatever. My goal was that I could lean back and talk into the microphone and still be loud enough for Shani. <laughs> so I'm not good enough. <laughs> Madison talks too quiet. Whatever. <laughs> oh. Forgot to turn down the computer volume. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'll get comfy in my chair if I can ever find my chair because it's like a, what? Like a puzzle. Like a, not a puzzle. Like go find me. Like a look and find for my looking fine like where's waldo where's waldo for my chair that i sit (laughs) why anybody else is touching madison's chair why don't don't they take your chair they know better they know that my chair is in some child's bedroom it's on the other side of the living room it's in the rec room like what yeah there was a guitar on my chair today when i tried to use it (laughs) you know yeah so anyway uh today we are going to be talking about the mcclintock campground murders Yay. Yay. I know. We also, we don't just hike a lot, but we also camp a lot. So, yeah. We'll get right into it. On July 9th, 1976, we're going back in time a little bit for this one, guys. But it's our oldest. It's our old, is it our oldest one so far? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I think our other ones. Yeah, because it was like. Yeah, I feel like this is our oldest one. I think one. so. Yeah. We'll have to fact check that one. No, I know for sure. (laughs) I know for a fact. But, you guys, it's going to be worth it. You'll you'll see. It'll be worth it. So, today we're talking about the murder of David Schultz and Ellen Matthews. Okay. David was 25 and worked in the press... What? Why? Gazette? Gazette? The newspaper, or it was a newspaper. I don't know if it is anymore. Okay. And worked in the press gazette circulation department. Ellen, who was 24, had a job at the University of Wisconsin at the Green Bay Library. Ooh, this is the second librarian that we've had. Is it? Who was the other one? Yeah, one of the Pinnacle Lake murders, right? The mom, she was a librarian in elementary school. I don't know, I don't remember. Oh my god, that was like two, that was literally two episodes ago. Anyway... Anyway, the couple was planning on getting married in September of that year. Yep. So, engaged. They were still living apart. Uh, they hadn't moved in together yet. Yep, that's what you did. In the, Mom, this is in the 70s. I know. I know. How, you would never move in with someone <laughs> before you were married. You would, but it would be frowned upon. It would be very frowned upon. Yeah. So, they set out to go camping. They were actually seen driving through Goldman Park, which was... A popular campsite, but it was already full. So somebody there sent them over to uh, McClintock Park, which was like basically the next campground that you could get to. So not too far away. McClintock Park, this is in Silver Cliff, Wisconsin. 
Uh, it was a Friday afternoon when they selected their secluded campsite and set up their tent. Uh, I think at this point they were the only campers there so far. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere. Okay. Yeah. So they decided to go out for a walk and David had his camera slung over his shoulder and they were ready to go out. Yeah. So campground, when you're at a, a lot of times we do this where we go to a campground and we'll hike from that campground out or explore, go on nature walks. Without our packs on. Without our packs on because it feels so good to take them off. Um, so this wasn't unusual. They were going to go, there's like trails in the area. They were going to go out for a little walk, take some pictures, maybe something like that. But before heading out, Ellen needed to use the bathroom at the campground and naturally David waited outside for her. Right. So most campgrounds have like some sort of bathroom, bathroom or pit toilet or something, hopefully more than a pit toilet at a campground, but we've had some pretty sketchy ones in our time. Mm -hmm. Which, I like pit toilets, though. Yeah, it's basically, guys, It's better like, than nothing. It's like a box with a, a hole lid. cut in it. It has a lid on it. Sometimes they have a lid on them. Most of the time they have a lid on them, like a wooden lid that yeah. you just kind of, like, pull off and, like, set to the side. The last one I used had it go up like a regular toilet. Oh, yeah. It was nice. Well, and a lot of them don't have walls. They're kind of just, like, Oh, yeah, they're a just placed. We've been on some. We've been to some, though, where there's, like, a nice view. Yeah. Which, you know, is always... That's my favorite. A nice surprise. Yeah, I'll, I'll use... This one time when we did Haybrook, I think it was, there's a toilet, like, if you if you go off, like, you have to walk a bit off the trail to mm-hmm. find the toilet. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And um, when I got there, I, like, posted a photo of it on my story, and I was like, toilet for champs, and people were like, you are not using that. And I was like, you better believe I used that <laughs> toilet. Are you kidding me? This is better than what we normally are get. Are you joking? Usually yeah. I just have to walk off trail and squat behind a tree or something this is a toilet i can sit down i know it's, it's like a nice nice tree it's a nice it surprise is. on the wonderland trail going around mount rainier almost all of the pit toilets had like an actual real toilet seat which is like a That's treat you guys luxury i our first you night living good i know our first night when we set up i like set up my tent i went to use the bathroom i came back and i was like you guys there's a real toilet seat. And everybody was like, what? People went and took pictures of it. It was pretty exciting. I call that exciting. <laughs> so we're not sure what kind of toilet they had at this campground. But. But. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Back on topic. So while David was waiting for Ellen to come out of the bathroom, a 30 caliber rifle shot shattered the silence. One bullet struck David in the neck. And it was shot from about 50 feet away, and this bullet did kill him instantly. The other bullet was lodged in the bathroom wall. Now, we're not sure if both of these were fired at the same time. Um, There are some theories that the second bullet was fired in order to scare Ellen into motion at some point. Uh, So basically, she's in the bathroom. I mean, can you even imagine the confusion that she... I, feels I, like mm-mm. she hears a shot, she hears commotion outside. I mean, I would be so confused. I don't even know if I would be panicked at this point. Um, I don't even know what I'd do. So no one really knows what exactly happened, what Ellen's thought like thought process was, what she did right after, but police believe that she ran with the killer in pursuit or she was led into the forest Right, like I like I said, some people believe the second bullet was like a warning shot. Yeah. Like he shot 
off the weapon in order to... Get her out of the weapon. Right, or to tell her to go this way or do that. Or the killer just shot twice and she took off running. I mean, we don't, we don't really know exactly what happened. Either way, she was raped by this man who had murdered her fiancé. Right. Ugh. So police believe that as she was getting dressed... Because she was, she was partially redressed when, when she was found. So her shorts were back on, uh, but she had not had a chance to put her shirt on yet. And she was shot twice in the chest and killed. So it was about 2.30 p.m. that day, so on July 9th, which I believe that they got to the campground around noon, if I remember correctly, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. So around 2.30, David's body was spotted by a county parks worker who had driven into the park just to check the supply of firewood. So he was driving into the park to see if there was enough firewood for all the campers that weekend. He asked a motorist who happened to be an off-duty Marinette police officer that had just entered the park uh, to stay with the body while he called authorities. So this off-duty police officer and his girlfriend had just come into the park so they stayed with David's body while he went to call for help. Presumably because there's not service in this area. Yeah. There's no cell phones. It, there's not like a pay 70s. phone. Yeah. So he's going to have to drive somewhere, probably the local ranger station. Or they used to have like phones kind of on the side of the road, or like emergency phones that you could call for uh, in these more remote areas. Yeah, well, so it could have been something like that. Because neither of us were even alive. Neither of us were alive at this time, yeah. So robbery was ruled out. They had cash that wasn't taken. And David actually still had his camera around him. Like slung over his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And Ellen's purse was left and the couple's car was also untouched. Right. So if robbery was the motive, at the very least, we think they would have taken the camera, taken the purse. Taken what they had on them. Taken what they had on them, yeah. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Okay, so at this point, a, a search is done after... Da- so David's been found. Mm-hmm. The police are there. They're searching for Ellen because they, they realize that there's female staff with the tent. So they're assuming there's another person involved in this. They don't actually find her that night. So the next day, the searching continues when it's light out again. And they find her body about, I think it was about 200 yards from where David was found. So she was just far enough back that they didn't find her on the initial search. They did recover semen from her body, but they couldn't really do anything with it. It is 1976, but they did, they were smart enough to store and preserve this evidence. So it was taken it was stored properly in the Thank hopes God. that someday something would, would come from it, yeah. Two men reported hearing gunshots and seeing a man come out of the woods in the area. And I, and I believe this was around the time that they think the, the murders yeah. happened as well. They also claimed that, that a vehicle was backed into a road or a trail nearby, and they had remembered that it had Michigan plates, and a sketch of that man was made. Yeah, so the police uh, made a sketch of this man in order to try to identify him. Whether he was connected to the case or not, they didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. But they they got that sketch up and they got it running. The um, police work was really good at the beginning, of the, like at this this case. Like they've uh, done. Yeah, I feel like for the seventies and for like park ranger, yeah. like this territory. is all going really 
so, really yeah, well. So far, so good. Yeah. We love that. We love that. Yeah. So investigators also learned that two nights before, so this is before the murder. So after this happens, people come forward, witnesses come forward, and they learn that two nights before the murders, two Brown County officers uh, might have seen the killer while they were sitting around a campfire in the same area. One of the officers looked up and saw a silhouette of a person in the woods. They got up to see what was going on and the person ran away. Sketchy. Uh, Later that same evening, they saw the same individual or what they believed to be the same individual. And at that time, one of them went into their tent in order to retrieve a firearm. When they came back, he was gone. First off, there's a lot of cops camping in this area. What is going on? I don't know. I mean, we've got different counties, different departments, and they're all just like chilling in the Maybe forest it was just here. This led authorities to believe that somebody had been lurking in the area prior to the murders, which of course they didn't know this because these people, you know, it's an isolated incident. Sometimes when you're in the woods, something will kind of freak you out, but you're not, it's not enough that you do something about it. In another incident, a few days before the murders, a man inside his pickup camper heard a noise and was rattled enough to open the door and fire a shot. The man thought that it might have been a bear. Investigators were hopeful all the details gleaned from these encounters would help lead them to a suspect. All of this kind of reminds me of when we camped at Barkley Lake and the guy that was with all the Boy Scouts was oh, yeah, following, was following us. us. Yeah. That was scary. That was scary. That was like Madison get behind me and take my gun. Right, gun, but knife in hand. But we did, we stopped on the trail because he was walking behind us for a long time and when we would like kind of linger, he would kind of disappear off the trail. But at one point we just stopped and faced his direction and just waited for him to pass by because we were not interested in playing that game. Super weird. Yeah. And then we had to sleep there. <laughs> and then we had, yeah, and then we had to sleep there. It was real fun. Yeah. They had no idea why the couple was targeted and zero leads gave them any clues and the case actually went cold. Right. I mean, these these young people had no enemies. Nobody had any reason why they might possibly be targeted. They weren't staying in even the campsite that they had planned on staying in. So the police don't know if somebody followed them from the full campsite or if somebody was lying in wait in the woods for an opportunity. I mean, they really had no idea. Okay, in 1991, on the 25th anniversary, police actually released an age progression sketch of the suspect in hopes of generating some leads. Yeah, so that would be the sketch that the two hunters had seen of the guy coming out of the woods. Yes. Yeah. 50 leads were actually generated from this, and numerous interviews were done with no results. And the case went cold again. Again. In the 90s, there was new hope with the advances of DNA. The semen that was collected from Ellen Shorts was actually submitted to the FBI's national database, CODIS, in hopes of getting a match. Yeah, in hoping that this dirty son of a bitch had committed other crimes. Right, because that's the only way you get into CODIS, right? Mm -hmm. Is your DNA has been submitted because of another crime. But there were no hits. In March 2018, which this is only two years ago, guys. Two years ago. And this murder happened in the 70s. Right. Investigators got in contact with Parabon Nano Labs, located in Virginia. The Marinette County Sheriff's Office collaborated with them to come up with a new composite image 
and likely features. Okay. They came up with one image that they believed what the suspect would have looked like around the age 25, which I believe is how old he would have been during the murders. That was the assumption, yeah, that he, based on witness accounts, he he was around 25. The second image would be him around 65 years old. Um, So him now. Yeah, so they released both sketches asking for clues. Right. Which Which is a really good idea to go with, like, a young version and an older version. And keep in mind, this particular sketch is not based on the witness statement. This sketch, or they don't actually call it a sketch, they call it something else. Is based on his DNA. It's based on his DNA. So this is something that they've started doing in the last, like, five years or so. Analysis showed that the suspect's DNA had his ancestry was mainly from Northern Europe. He was thought to have fair skin, Blue eyes, reddish-brown hair, and freckles, actually. Yeah, some are a few freckles. So not a ton of freckles, but, but some freckles. But some freckles. Yeah. So kind of like you. Yeah. Just some. Not, not like, like you. me, <laughs> who has a lot. <laughs> but just some freckles. Which is crazy that, like, they can... Not only can they just see what he looks like, but, like, see what his heritage was and his freckles. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy that with your DNA, they can determine... What you could possibly basically what you could possibly look like. I mean that that's a pretty crazy transition from okay, we're only relying on witness statements, and this is basically what he looks like. Moving forward to okay, we know that he probably looks like this based on his DNA. I mean, I think they're finding that it's more reliable than witness accounts in some cases. But on October 9th, Parabon actually contacted investigators to say that a genealogist who worked for them had looked at the case and thought she might be able to come up with a suspect. Like, hey guys, we got somebody here who uh, thinks they can give you a suspect. Are you interested? (laughs) Yeah, crazy. Right? The DNA, the suspect DNA, was uploaded into GEDmatch, which is a free public genealogy database, and it has about 1.2 million profiles. They are all voluntarily submitted by people who have used consumer genealogy sites like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, MyHeritage, things like that. So Madison has actually done her DNA profile on Ancestry.com. And so she was actually able to upload her DNA into GEDmatch. So if anybody that we're related to has committed a crime, you might want to turn yourself in because Madison's going to get you caught. Yep. Yep. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the recent capture, well, recent, like, what, a year ago? Uh, capture of Joseph D'Angelo. Uh, so he was a prolific serial killer who was active in the 70s and the 80s. He was known as the Golden State Killer. He was also connected or found to be the Vansalia Ransacker, the original Night Stalker, the East Area Rapist. He committed at least 13 murders, 50 rapes, and over 100 burglaries. I still think there will be other cases that are linked to him as time goes on. A lot of the DNA that they had from these previous unsolved cases wasn't viable to test any longer. Like, it hadn't been stored properly. Which is usually the case with older... Right, with these old older cases, for sure. They were able to catch him using familial DNA, which is a forensic technique that identifies suspects through their family's DNA. So, like, his, like fourth cousin or someone, I don't know who actually, I'm sure I read it at some point, but submitted their DNA to this database and 
they were able to map him through that person. So they're basically able to like narrow it down to like a specific family tree and then they can eliminate suspects that way. So by December, the genealogist was able to narrow down the suspect pool to a specific family that has ties to the Green Bay area, which is crazy. It's crazy that they can do that. That's nuts. Imagine like one family. Yeah, one specific family. Providing the name Van Hevenhoven. Okay. That's a mouthful. It is. Van Hevenhoven. They were parents of four sons. Well, they noted that the suspect could be one of the couple's four sons or four grandsons. Mm. Grandsons would have been a little young, though. Right. Well, I think that's why they started with the sons, though. But genetically, it could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first son was eliminated when detectives found his inhaler in his curbside trash. So at this point, they're going around trying to collect DNA evidence so they can exclude or... Confirm. Confirm the DNA of these four sons. Okay, so the second son was eliminated when they were able to collect a coffee cup from a neighbor. So he went and had coffee with his neighbor. They collected the coffee cup. Imagine... Just, like, the police watching you to collect your DNA, like, without you knowing. That's kind of (laughs) scary. I don't like that. (laughs) I always feel like somebody's watching me, so... I always feel like the government's out to get me, you know? So, on March 6th, so both of them came back. They were both ruled out. Son one, son two, ruled out, right? On March 6th, two sheriff's deputies knocked on the door of the third son, pretending they wanted him to fill out a brief survey on area policing. So basically, they gave him a survey and said, we're trying to collect mm-hmm. data on how people feel about how the police are doing. And this is a police knocking on his door, right? Like, the police are knocking on his door, and he's not concerned about that. But naturally, like, when you've gone away with a crime for this long, like, you're Spoiler like, alert, this might be our guy. Maybe. But also, what I can't believe is that the police are just, like, faking a survey. They're like, oh, you know what's going to get him? We're going to go give him a survey. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing. He didn't have curbside trash, so he was going to the dump instead of, like, taking his trash out to the curb. And he kind of lived in a secluded area. Which it's- is probably the smart way to live after reading this and knowing that the police were just taking if you shit out of your curbside trash. If you haven't committed a crime, what are you worried about? The police can go through my garbage all day long. Go for it. Have fun. Okay. If you find anything bad, it probably belongs to Madison. <laughs> Since I'm uncomfortable with the thought of the police going through my trash. Anyway, they gave him the survey, they asked him to fill it out, and then they had him seal it in an envelope. Because they weren't supposed to read it, they had to take it back to their department is why he needed to seal it. So they got his DNA from him licking an envelope. Yep. Another reason not to lick envelopes. Well, I don't lick envelopes anyway. They're disgusting. Yeah, but now I'm not going to lick envelopes because I don't want the government getting my... I also don't open mail from the top because I don't want to touch where other people have licked. I tear my envelopes from the side. I also tear my envelopes from the side, but that's from watching you do it my entire life. (laughs) I feel like there's no right... that's, That's the right way to open mail. It is. In my head. It there's is. no It's the right way. When it's not, it's very wrong. It's very much so the wrong way to open it. I totally agree. So they did not need to go visit the four son because they had found their killer. So the DNA comes back from this envelope and it is a match to Raymond L. 
Van Hevenhoven. Van Hevenhoven. He's 82 years old. This man is 80. That's why he's not concerned about the police. He's like, I'm a, I want to swear so bad. I know. But you, I just you gotta keep. I don't know if you've listened Madison's to my words. Madison's a little. She's a little something. salty in the morning, so it's early morning for us right now, which we don't normally record early in the morning. But we so, have construction going on in our house right now, so we're trying to get recording done before everybody else is up and before things get loud. But Madison does not handle mornings well. It's been kind of rocky for us. Yeah. So that's why this man wasn't concerned about the police, is because he was 82 years old. When you're like an 82 year old man, he's like. Well, oh, yeah. what do you have? What do you have to worry about at eighty-two? I mean, Nothing. you're just a quiet Especially citizen. You... You've been living your life for forty-three years with no incident. Yes. So, not only did this man live quietly for forty-three years, he only lived twenty-five miles from where the murders occurred. Mm-hmm. Also, don't worry, guys. His neighbors said that he was a helpful handyman with a gravely voice. Gravelly. And a... Gravelly. It's gravelly. Yeah. Well. <laughs> With a gravelly voice and a loud laugh. Yeah, Great. so cool. He's like the, the nice old handyman that lives next door. Don't trust your neighbors, guys. Okay. He was also described as a son of a bitch when he was drinking, but otherwise seemed like an old retired guy. Yeah, just friendly old retired guy that lives next door. Oh, Ray, he's drinking again. Oh, oh man, man, it's Ray over there. He's drinking. Yeah. But guys, get a lot of this. He had six children and nine grandchildren. On March 14th, a search warrant was executed on Ray's home. He was taken into custody and deputies found a 30 caliber action rifle in a cabinet in the garage and 30 caliber shell casings in a tin can on a shelf above the washer and dryer. I couldn't find information anywhere on whether or not ballistics had been done or if they even had anything to run it against still. But it'll be interesting to see if this weapon happens to come back to be the same weapon that was used in the murder. On March 22nd, his bond was set at $1 million. When the judge asked what he pleaded, he said, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Maybe saying it three times made him think that it made him sound less guilty? I don't know. I don't know. Denial, maybe? Maybe he's thinking about bug Mm -hmm. juice. Maybe he's thinking that Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. (laughs) Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Maybe he's thinking about Beetlejuice, and that's why he's like three times. If I say it, it'll come true. Yeah, could be. All right. He is being charged with two counts of first-degree murder, but not being charged with the rape of Ellen due to the statute of limitations. This makes me so so mad. One, why do we have a statute of limitations on a heinous crime like rape? Where, oh, we didn't catch you in time, so you don't, we can't charge you with it. But we did use your semen to even find out that you were the one that did this whole thing. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure his lawyers are actually going to uh, try to fight to keep that out of evidence for that reason. Like, they're using the semen in this rape that I cannot be charged with to convict me on the murder. It never makes sense to me. It never... It never makes sense. Statue of limitations doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'm really not a huge fan of it. it. It's like, if you can get away with it for long enough, we're just going to let it go. Well, just let it slide. A few rape charges. Oh, no, you're good. You're 82. You're fine. It's not like yeah. 
It's like it didn't happen. But it did, you guys. But it did. So family members of Ellen and David are relieved. Um, They feel like this has been hanging over their family for a really long time. Obviously, it's a long time. They're very displeased or it's what's hard for them to deal with is that he's been walking around living his life having kids having grandkids mowing his lawn and just getting away with these horrible crimes they lost their families david and ellen never got to get married or have kids or do any of these things and here's ray old ray just walking around living his life son of a bitch yeah Ray was also married to his wife for 50 years until her death in 2008. After his wife's death, he was reported to spend his days fishing, hunting, and going on long camping trips. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Some of Raymond's family describe him as a loving father and family man, and they're convinced that he's innocent. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of that denial comes from it's really hard to imagine that somebody you've known your entire life or that you've known as this loving part of your family could do something like that right his dna though is all over this like there's no escaping that exactly yeah his neighbors didn't seem to know what he did for work before he retired i don't know if that's super weird i mean i I don't know what our neighbors do I don't know what our neighbor. Well, no, I don't. I I think the one I know what those ones do. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's something. I don't know if that's super unusual. I mean, I think once you retire maybe I, but I feel but like most retired people do talk about what they do. Yeah. Especially 82-year-old men, I feel like. Mhm. Some thought that he was an iron worker and others thought that he hauled and delivered boats. Yeah, these are two very different professions. Two very different things. Maybe he did both. This is textbook serial killer. They're able to compartmentalize their behavior. So they can seem very normal. They can separate their crazy from their normal life. A lot of serial killers are married and their wives never even know or suspect. Yeah. So it's pretty common for that to happen where people... They don't believe or they can't see somebody behaving that way. Yeah, because a psychopath can, you know, do their craziness and also live a completely normal life. Which is really Which is scary. Insane. I know, it's crazy. Ray did have a dark side, though. In 1957, so in his younger days, when he was about 20, he spent six months in jail for an unprovoked attack on a 17-year-old girl. She was walking with three friends and Ray struck her on the back, the face, and shoulder. Shortly before, the police said Ray had also tried to attack a 16-year-old girl. How old was... He was 20? He was 20. So this is like in his youth. But he said it during his sentencing that he was only trying to scare the girls. I'm That's doing, weird. I'm doing the finger quotes again. Why, why are you running up to... I mean, he's 20. They're 17, 16, 17. So maybe he knew them. I don't really know, but this seems like a very weird situation for me. I think it's weird. It's weird, yeah. So on January 7th, 2020, a competency hearing for Raymond was ordered. So we're, we're catching up here. We're, we're in 2020 now. We're mm-hmm. recent. We're current. That hearing was put on hold. Wait for it. Because of the coronavirus, it was rescheduled for March 26th. 
last week. I'm not sure if it was held or not. I'm guessing not, but uh, we haven't heard one way or the other yet if that did take place. Now we get into motives. So the couple lived about 85 miles from the campsite and Raymond only lived about 25 miles. So we're thinking that he didn't follow them to this campsite. We're thinking this is more of a crime of opportunity and he was at the campsite, potentially just waiting for the right target or victim to come along. Well, and to me, that's really the only thing that makes sense. I mean, if he knew them, I feel like a connection would have been made at some point. I really just think that they were victims of opportunity for him. Yeah. Well, and there were other incidents in the forest in the days leading up to that as well. So could Raymond have been on one of his camping trips... At this time, he liked to camp and he liked to hunt, right? So maybe he had been out on his own doing those things for like a week or a couple days. And that's how this sort of transpired. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the only thing that really makes sense. Um, The police have not found any connection. Ray is not cooperating with them. He is not giving them information. Actually, he's like a stubborn 82-year-old man that lived throughout the 50s and 60s. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing he's thinking maybe he can still get out of it somehow. I think he's thinking I got away with it for this long. I'm not. Or maybe he's convinced himself that he didn't do it because he's gotten away with it for so long. That's a real thing. I mean, who, who really knows? You can really convince yourself of anything. But can you imagine being his kids or his grandkids right now oh my I mean, god i can't even imagine oh honey we can't see where's grandpa. where's grandpa where's poppy oh yeah he's on vacation i mean what do you how do you even come to terms with that i really don't know i think that since he sounds like a psychopath because he clearly was able to live a normal life outside of what he was doing right but that's another thing though i don't think these are the only murders he committed. No. I, I find it so unlikely. And there are other unsolved cases. I know there's two cases um, in that area that have similar MOs, but they, they can't find any connection. So I'm assuming that the the bullets aren't the same or something doesn't match. But well, if you are a psychopath and you really do something like that, like there's no way you just do it once. There's no way he didn't have those compulsions again there's no way there's no way i know it seems pretty it seems pretty unlikely that that's the only murder he committed unless it was personal unless he knew ellen or he knew the victim and this was a personal vendetta or a personal attack for that specific person and that's why he did not kill after that i mean that's the only thing that makes sense to me like either there are more victims out there or he knew these people those are the only two yeah. things that I can come to terms with. Because it just be, it's just crazy to think about it either way. Yeah. But yeah, so that is the story of David and Alan and the McClintock Park murders. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah, don't be scared to go camping. It's super fun. <laughs> we're actually planning on our next uh, little backpacking trip. We, we That's funny. We were actually yesterday uh, making our plans to go on a camping trip right now. Uh, the weather's a little rough for us, but... We, I, got a t- I got a tarp. We, yeah, we, we have a... Madison has a tarp for her hammock, and my tent is waterproof, so we'll be fine. 
what we find. Although we can't really build fires around here very much. Most parks or forests don't allow them. So we might have to get creative. But yeah, we're pretty excited about it. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Maybe this coronavirus stuff will make it so people aren't camping. So it's like a mild feel of the fire. Can we even go camping? I don't even know. I don't even know. We might not even be able to. What if we were camping before the coronavirus stuff? Then they can't get us in trouble. (laughs) I don't think anybody's going to be out checking anyway, but we're fine. So yeah, we hope you like this episode. We kind of got excited about this uh, DNA match and thought it might be a fun one to do. Uh, But yeah, follow us on Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast. We're also on Facebook. We would love some suggestions if you guys have any cases that you want to hear. DM us on Instagram. We're also on Spotify now. We're on um, iTunes podcast now. Yep, we're on iTunes Woo-hoo. now. Uh, we're on Podbean, Stitcher. I mean, we're on a bunch of them. So yeah, track us down, find us, tell your friends about us. All right, thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next week.